Years ago, uh, Daryl Royal was the head football coach at the University of Texas, and he had gone out and recruited this absolutely incredible athlete. Uh, he was six foot five. He ran a four four forty, weighed about two hundred and fifty pounds. But as incredible as an athlete as he was, he was a terrible student. And so Royal was always nervous about him, wondering if he's going to be eligible. And after the first semester, he brought in his grades and handed them to the coach. And the coach, Coach Royal, began to look through his grades, and he made a, an F in math and an F in science, an F in psychology, and he made a D in history. And so uh, Coach Royal's looking at it, and the player, you know, just a, a big, huge guy, great athlete, but not, you know, not quite all there. And he looks at the coach, and he says, uh, so, like, what do you think about my grades, coach? And the coach is looking at him and said, well, it's pretty obvious to me that you're spending all your time on one subject. Now, uh, that would be, y'all, come on. That was the subject that he made a D in. I told the first service this story. Y'all, this irritates the, you, the mess out of me. That's a great story. But anyway, okay. So, uh, so anyway, uh, which now that y'all have blown it and you screwed it up, I'm just going to start over. All right, we're in a capital campaign program. Man, this is awful. It's like, it's like Johnny Carson when he's bombing. Uh, we're in a capital campaign program, and the, the point of that story was that uh, there are times whenever we place our emphasis and our focus on the wrong things. And uh, I know for me, sometimes, whenever it comes to, you know, how I use my time and how I spend my time, sometimes I, you know, I end up put, putting it all on me instead of the things that are valuable, the things that are right. And, uh, golly, y'all just screwed this up. Uh, anyway, uh, so for me and, for me and my family, as we look at the, as we look at the church, we were, we were looking at the church and talking about the things of, of God and what God's done here in the past year. And other than the fact that He's just absolutely pulled away all of your sense of humor, one thing that God has done here is that God has blessed us tremendously. Uh, this past year has been crazy. Uh, you go back into the, the children's area right now, and it is, it's, it is wonderful. I know some of you have kids back there, and some of you might look back there and say, oh, it makes me a little bit nervous. There's so many kids back there, and, uh, which is a great thing, though. I mean, God's blessing and bringing people here. And then our youth group, our youth area, it's God's just done a fabulous job through the ministry of the youth group. But what's gone on is that we, we're beginning at that time now, just a year of being here, and we're starting to run out of space. And so we said, you know, one thing that we've got to do is we've got to begin to prepare for the blessings that God's going to continue to bring here. And then another thing that we decided to do is we go through this capital campaign. Is we said, we want to make a difference in Blythewood and Northeast Columbia, but we want to make a difference around the world. And so this past summer, we went over into Haiti, and we were able to work over there and work with an orphanage and help get that started. And we've decided that through this campaign, one thing that we're going to do is that 10% of what we bring in, that, that we're going to give it towards our, our Haiti missions effort, because we just want to make a difference and so today, the whole focus of, of the message and, and what we're looking at is, you know, how can, how can we allow God to begin to work into our lives, work through our lives, so that we can really make a difference and an impact in our area where we are now and beyond, to where we can begin to see lives transformed and begin to prepare for the process that we're experiencing right now, which is, which is growth. And taking care of people. So if you have your Bible, I'd like for you to look with me in 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to look in verse number 17 in just a few moments. So 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse number 17. Uh, if you have a Bible like mine, it's like page 1004. Uh, but you can look in your table of contents if you'd like to look that up. So chapter 6, verse number 17. Now, for a long time, I believe that 
that the early church, when the church first started, was in the Bible days, is that it was made up of people who were who were poor, who were the outcast of society, who really didn't have a voice in society at all. And yet, what I'm learning is that whenever I look into scriptures, I am learning that God used people of means as well. He used people who who had who had enough to be a blessing to others. And uh, today our focus is going to be how we can use our wealth in the right way. Now some of you might say, I'm not wealthy so this message is not for me. And I used to say the exact same thing until we went to Haiti. And guys, whenever we went to Haiti, I came back saying, you know what, we are wealthy. And there is no doubt that God has blessed us as a nation, I really believe, to be a blessing to others. Now, some of you might be, might be the first time that you're here and you're saying, it sounds like to me that he's going to be talking about money today. And uh, I know that some people are jaded about church and they say every time, I co- every time I come, the only thing they do is talk about money. And today just happens to be your lucky Sunday. Uh, this is the, the, a few times a year we speak on, on stewardship and you happen to be here, but I promise you, just hang in there with us. Uh, now, people, I think, get nervous about it because... They think when I come to church, if I'm going to really follow God, that means I've got to give away everything that I've got to God. And, they, and the church is always looking to get my money. And I think part of that thought process, while there are some bad apples out there, I think in Scripture, one of the stories that makes us think that is the story of the rich young ruler. I don't know if you're familiar with that story or not, but you might remember a rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, what do I have to do in order to inherit eternal life? And Jesus told him, he said, take all that you have. And give it away. Give it to the poor. And then he said, then come follow me. Now, a lot of people look at that and they get scared. They say, if I'm going to follow Jesus, Jesus is going to make me live on the streets of Columbia. And I'm not willing to do that. Now, that is really not the emphasis of the story with the rich young ruler. It just happened to be that that was was the one area of his life that stood between him and his relationship with God. It was his wealth. And God said... You have to give it away, give, get rid of those things that stand in between me and you so that our relationship can be right. Now, our focus today is, okay, if, if that's the case, it's not evil to have wealth, then how can I use my wealth in the right way? And we're going to just look at a few instructions that Paul gives us on how to use our wealth in the right way. And the very first instruction that Paul shares in using your wealth in the right way, I think this is kind of surprising. The very first thing that I saw in this text is where he says you are to enjoy your wealth. Now, if you're going to use your wealth in the right way, first of all, you start off by enjoying it. And in verse number 17, Paul said to Timothy, who was a young pastor, he said, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, Paul starts off his instruction here with a warning. He told Timothy, he said, hey, tell the people in the church that they are not to place all of their hopes and all of their focus on their finances, upon their wealth. So don't place your trust there. He said, instead, place your trust in the God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, there are a couple of things that I notice in verse number 17 that, that, that we need to just mentally, you know, just write, put, 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 put in a file. And, and one of the things to recognize here is that God is the owner of everything. Everything that you are, everything that you have, 
belongs to God. In Psalm 24, 1, it says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. That is, that's, do you th- that's comprehensive, don't you think? I mean, it's everything. God has it all. In Psalm 50, 10, it says, For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. Now, everything already belongs to God. So what you have right now, it's really not yours, it's God's. Everything belongs to him, but but God in his graciousness allows us to be stewards of what he has. And for some of us, he's he's given some of you more. God's just allowed you to have more so that you can be a steward of that. Others of you have less. He has given that to you to be a steward of that as well. So it's not wrong for a person to have material things. As a matter of fact, when you have, have things, whenever you have been blessed by God, God wants you to use those things for your enjoyment. In James 1.17, it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and it comes down from the Father of lights. But the, the fact of the matter is, we cannot properly enjoy our wealth until we put it in its right perspective. And that is understanding that what you have is not yours, but instead that it is God's. Now, where we can get into trouble is when we have so much. Y'all, we have so much. We are so blessed. But we can get to a point where we have so much that we say, you know what, I, I have all, the, all that I want and all that I need. And I really don't need anybody else. I can go through this life and I can make it on my own. And it's sad whenever success leads us to become a people of ego and pride. That's why Jesus talked about the deceitfulness of riches. In Matthew 13, 22, Jesus shared with us that, that riches give us a false sense of security. I mean, even a false sense of self-superiority. And the Bible has pl- uh, plenty of warnings concerning the dangers of wealth. And go all the way back into the Old Testament. Whenever Moses led the Hebrew people out of Egyptian captivity... Y'all remember that story? It's the one where, you know, the, the Red Sea split wide open. And so incredible things happen. And so Moses, though, as they're, go, they're going to the promised land. And Moses told the people, he said, listen, we're, we're leaving slavery. And where we're going, it's going to be a land of milk and honey. Now, in, in today's modern terms, we say it's a land of prosperity. God's going to bless us there. It's going to be an incredible place. But then Moses gave a warning. He gave a warning in Deuteronomy 8, 11 through 18. It's kind of a long scripture I'm going to read here. But listen to what he says. He says, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to obey his commands, observe his commands, his laws and decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build the fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, Then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you to the vast and dreadful desert, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of a hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known, to humble and to test you so that in the end it might go well with you. Now, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. 
Now, it's not wrong for us to enjoy the fruits of our labors, but where we get into trouble is whenever our focus and our main drive is to have more stuff at the expense of a relationship with God. And if that's what it is for you, then God is going to call you to remove those things that stand between you and Him. See, God wants you to enjoy your wealth, but He doesn't want your wealth to become the master of you. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. There's there's only one thing you can serve. It's one or the other. Uh, Whenever, I guess it was was actually, it's been, gosh, probably 10 or 12 years ago now. um, I was, I'd gone out to play golf with my dad. Dad and I like to get together when the weather's nice, and we try to play golf like once a week. You couldn't tell uh, by the way we play, but we just enjoy getting together and, and fellowship. And so we were playing golf, and we got back. And when I got back to my parents' house, uh, my mother and Emily were cleaning. Uh, they were cleaning out uh, my room that I'd had when I was in high school. Emily's acting like she doesn't remember this, but you will. And so, uh, so we were. In, I was. Uh, I was coming back in there. So they're cleaning it out. You know, cleaning it out. And so uh, Emily comes to me, and she has this like shoebox, and she wants to show me this is stuff that she's gotten out of my room. And she's like, "Well, look here." And so I look in there, and it's, uh, it's letters that I had from a girl that I had in, in high school. And uh, so, you know, I know this is, this is a big-time trap. So she has, what do you think about these? And so I'm looking at that, and I, I'll promise you, I did not have these letters um, so that when I'm like 70 years old, I can, you know, sit back and reminisce about the good old days. And, you know, I'm like probably at most of you guys, you just kind of shove stuff in your room, and you don't even know it's there anymore. And so she, she's like, hands it to me, and she's like, so what are you going to do with these? Now, because I had been married for a little while at that time, and I'm a pretty sharp guy, I was like, well, I am definitely throwing these things away. And so uh, we take the uh, shoebox, and we walk out to the gate, and she watches me. She comes out with me, and I, I'm like, look, I am putting them in the garbage can. If I, was, I, I should have burned them. And so I threw them away, and I was like, that's it. I'm done with this. And so it made it good. Now, what if she had brought those, those uh, letters to me and said, what do you think about these? And I would have said, oh, man, those were great days. Uh, now, do you think that would have been that uh, that would not have been very helpful in our marriage? As a matter of fact, that might have been a little bit of a stumbling block there. And so, because I'm wise, I said, you know, anything that would stand between me and my wife, I'm going to get rid of that. And so I did that. Now, y'all, God functions and operates in the same way. Anything that is in your life that takes precedence over God, God's going to bring it up to you. And let you say, or or give you the opportunity to do something about it. You see, God is a jealous God. And he desires to be first in in your heart, first place in your life. And I don't think anything really inhibits a Christian more from obeying the leadership of God than the comforts of this life. Sometimes we can take the comforts of this life, we get so used to it that, that we get to a place where we say, you know what, I'm not willing to give up anything in order to serve God. Because there's some things that I just want to have. But Christians, if we're going to be used by God, if this church, and I'm serious about this, if this church is going to be the church that transforms this community, that transforms your lives and the lives of your family, then we must be a people that are willing to say, God, whatever it is that I have, I understand it belongs to you. And anything that stands between me and you, Jesus, I will remove it from my life. 
There must be a willingness to surrender everything that we have for God's sake. Now, God desires for us to enjoy our wealth. And what I'm discovering is that whenever I submit what I have to God, did you know I actually enjoy it more? I enjoy it more because I see the power of God. When I look at this building, we've only been here for a year. When we were at the school, I I remember being at the school and when we came together and we said, we are going to move out in faith and trust God's going to do something great here. It's the best investment we ever made. And we look today and we see people who are coming into relationship with Jesus and people coming into the church. And I think that is because people were willing to put what they had and say, God, it's yours anyway. Now, whenever I look into Scripture, I see, first of all, that God he gives us some instructions on how to use our wealth wisely. But first of all, enjoy your wealth. Now, the second, the second instruction is probably one that you're expecting to hear from me. And that is the second instruction on using our wealth in the right way is we're to share our wealth. You know, we're called to share it. Now, if you look in verse number, let's see, verse 18, it says, Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Now, there's a whole lot more uh, about wealth than just money. Wealth is not just money. Uh, wealth can also be counted in, in good works. In how we spend our lives and how we use our time. A person can be rich in the world's goods or we can be rich in good works. Now there's no doubt that the Bible puts a high premium on on God's followers being rich in good works. Now as a little side note, I just want to say that good works do not make you right with God. Good works are not what bring you, uh, they do not earn you a relationship with God. It's just that whenever you submit yourself to God, it is a natural byproduct of your life that you're going to do good works. Because that's how God changes us. He changes our desires. As a matter of fact, we're told in Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, and which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, let me ask you a question. Are you a friend of Jesus? Now, this is not a question that you answer verbally. It is a question that is answered by your actions. Are you a friend of Jesus? Now you say, how can I tell that? You can tell that by the way you live, by what you produce in your life. What do your actions say about you concerning your walk with God? Uh, In 1815, the Battle of Waterloo took place. It was a battle that Napoleon lost. If you know history, you know that the Duke of Wellington was the one who led the British to victory over Napoleon. Now, because of that, he became this huge hero in, uh, in England, and a lot of books were written about him. But his, his biographer, the latest biographer, said, I'm going to write a much better biography, biography than everybody else. He said, because I have better information. What he had was, well, the one thing that he had that no other biographer had was he had a ledger of his accounts. He had his, basically his financial statements. And he said his financial statements are much more important than the letters he wrote, than what he said about himself, than what other people said about him. He said, because whenever you look to see where people invest their wealth, he says, that's where you find the true person. And I thought, man, what if somebody wrote a biography about us? And the only thing they had to go by was the way we invested our wealth, the way we spent our money, what our tax returns look like. What would our biography say? Would it, would it show that, that we are spending our times, 
our time in the things of this world or that we are spending what we have, are investing in the things of God. Now, there's no doubt that, that words are important concerning our relationship with God. We must speak truth, but our actions say a whole lot about us too. Y'all, you know, actions speak louder than words. In Acts 10.38, it says, Jesus went about doing good. Now, however God's blessed you, use it in order to reach others. Do it in order to touch the lives of the people around you. Because God has given to you and to me that we might share it with others. Now, now what are some instructions on using our wealth in the right way? First of all, enjoy your wealth. Enjoy it. But secondly, share it. Share your wealth. And then the final instruction we are given on how to use our wealth in the right way is finally, it's to invest to invest our wealth. Now, verse 19 says, In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. If you desire to get the most out of your money, the best thing to do is invest it. And then you want to invest in something good. And Jesus very clearly tells us the best way that we can invest is to invest what we have and who we are in the things of God. Jesus said in Matthew six nineteen through 21 Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. Jesus told a story about a, a, a rich farmer. And the farmer had, had an incredible you know, bumper crop. So big that he didn't have the barns to hold it. So he tore down his barns and he built bigger ones. Put all the grain in there. Said, this is great. I'm going to kick back and relax and enjoy my wealth. Now on the surface, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But the problem was, everything that man was about was invested here. His entire life was focused here. And we're told that that very night, an angel of the Lord went to the man. He said, you fool. This very night, your soul will be required of you. Now, again, when I, I read things like this, it makes me, again, ask the question, where are we investing? What do we find important in our lives? You know, where, where, where are you putting your wealth? Where are you putting your service? See, so many of us are putting our service and our times in the things of this world. And guys, the things of this world are temporary. The things of this world is like, like a shiny, it's a nice shiny object that gets our attention, but it doesn't last. I told y'all before about how, in South America, how they capture monkeys. I read this story, I think in Reader's Digest. I don't know why you're capturing monkeys, but it's an interesting story. In South America, they capture, they capture monkeys. The way they trap them is they get a coconut. And they hollow it out, and they, they mount it to the ground, and they put a shiny object or a toy inside that coconut. And they know where the monkeys are, so the monkeys will come over there, and they'll see, they'll look in the coconut, and they will see that shiny object or toy. And they just get all monkey excited about it. And so they stick their hands in there, and they grab, they grab onto that shiny object, and they try to pull it out. Now, they have it rigged to where, to where when they make a fist, they can't get their hand out of that coconut. So if they're going to get their hand out of the coconut, they have to let go of the shiny object, and then they can pull their hand out. But those monkeys want that object so bad, they will not let go. And they are trapped there, and they hang on to that thing, and a captor will come along with a net, and they won't let go steal. 
And then they just throw the net over them, and they capture the monkey. Now, in that situation, who's in charge, the monkey or the shiny object? Now, you think about that story, you go, what a bunch of dumb monkeys. But guys, you know what? The same thing applies to us today. What is it that has control in your life? Is it the shiny object of this world, or is it God? There's a lot of us, we are hanging on so tightly to this world that we are enslaved to the things of this world, and we miss out on the blessings and the freedom of God. What has charge in your life? Who has charge in your life? Is, is it you or is it God? You know, Jesus came to the same crossroads that, that we all face. He was, he was faced with a, a choice of your life or his life. And Jesus chose your life and my life. He said, I will give up my life on a cross that when people trust in me, they can discover the freedom and the forgiveness of God and they will not have to, they will not have to experience the wrath of God in their lives because they have invested in me. Now, you might find this hard to believe. Y'all, that, that's all i got to say today. I'm not here to make you do anything. I'm not here to try to pressure you into anything. I just want to challenge you in the days ahead, the weeks ahead, that you will allow God to deal with your heart concerning how he would want you or maybe not want you to be a part of what we're trying to do here at Village Church. See, on October 31st, we're going to come together and we're going to say, Lord... We believe you've led us in this direction. We believe that you are calling us to expand our ministries, calling us to prepare for future expansion in our youth and our children. Call us to prepare ourselves to minister in Haiti and to take care of the facilities that we've got now. And we're going to come together on October 31st. We're going to make a pledge to how God would move us as a church in achieving those goals. And I want you to know that I am looking forward to seeing God working through our church to touch this community. To bless this community because I really believe that is why God has placed us here. To be a blessing. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I am, I am grateful and thankful for this day that you have provided. And Jesus, I am thankful that you have blessed us. We are the most blessed people in this world. Jesus, we are blessed with finances. We are blessed with health care. We are blessed with so many things that no one else in the world can experience. And Jesus, I am grateful for that. But I pray, Jesus, that with these, with these wonderful gifts that you've given us, that you will remind us it carries with it a heavy responsibility. And that is to use what you've given us for your glory. Jesus, may you use this church for your glory and no other. God, may we see the blessings and the power of God unleashed in this church. And we've seen a taste of, of God's glory already. God, I pray that we'll see even greater things in the days ahead. Thank you, Lord, for these things. And I pray this in Christ's name.